everyone. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. This is Mimi. I'm here with Bridget. Hey, Bridget. Hey, how are you? Well, you asked me before we started recording, <laughs> <laughs> how was your long run? And I was like, uh, didn't happen. Um, yeah, so maybe we'll start with that. Yeah. I've been having some hamstring issues since I raced on the 4th of July. And, you know, the first few weeks were really rough and I was really nervous and like really unsure about how training would go and if Boston would even happen. And then training was going great. Like everything was just clicking. Had an awesome long run last weekend, like one of my best ever. But I felt afterwards like, oh, that was a little rough Mm. on the old hammy. And then I had a great workout this week, one of my best workouts ever. And I was sort of feeling the same, like, oh, this doesn't feel great. Mm. And then I ran on Friday and I was just like, this is kind of awful. And it just has been feeling really tight and pulley. And so I, I've just taken the last couple of days off and had a lot of a lot of work done on it over the last couple of days, which has yeah. been great, but I think aggravated it a little bit. Mm. And, you know, probably could have done a long run today, want the one I had planned. But I just woke up feeling like I don't want to – I. You know, that I'm I'm hoping by, you know, I have some good base fitness. I've already run over 20 miles twice, like hoping the hay is mostly in the barn and now it's just not making dumb choices. Totally. And I just woke up feeling tired, a little sore, a little bit like, I'm not sure a long run today would be beneficial, but maybe more rest would be. And so I had, did a lot of mental gymnastics to convince myself to get to that point. Yeah. That's hard. Well, I'm proud of you for doing that because, I mean, you are, I think, fitter than you've ever been. And that's a great place to be. But also, you know, getting those fitness gains means that you're riding that that edge of, yeah. you know, gaining versus versus injuring yourself. And I think it's so smart. When you're just feeling like a little, I don't know, and you're doing all the all the things, but to your point, like all the good work that can help sometimes alleviate those things does often increase blood flow and therefore inflammation temporarily. You know, right. yeah. Like, so, and that's sort of what I'm telling myself. It is right now. Like it doesn't feel like it's constantly pulling. It just feels yeah. like there's some inflammation, a lot of blood flow. And that by tomorrow morning, it'll settle down and I'll go for a nice, easy run and I'll feel okay. (laughs) That's my hope. Yep. Yep. I'll keep fingers crossed for that. (laughs) Thanks. How was your weekend? You said you got in a good long run yesterday on the trails. It looked beautiful. Yeah. I went up to to Wonderlick and uh, ran 14. So it was really nice. I got really good luck with parking. Wonderlick has that very small parking lot. It is really small and you just never know. You never know. And then Um, you're like... If I can't park here, what? Know, there's literally nowhere else. There's You're nowhere like, else. Yeah. What do I do? Right. Anyway. You just have to like, yeah. I don't know, ask someone in Woodside if they can park in their yard. Totally. To which they're going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So lucked out with parking and then just went like, I thought I was going to go all the way up to, um, to Skyline. You know, there's that big loop. But they were doing some restoration of the trail towards the top and I think some fire prevention. So thank you, firefighters. Please keep up the good work. So I ended up doing some loops and there's this like crazy segment that is just, I don't know, maybe it's a quarter of a mile, but it I don't know what the grade is either because I don't pay attention to those things, but it is steep. Um, and I did actually some like loops around on that. Wow. So the glutes, the hammies were yeah. feeling... We're feeling it this morning, I can <laughs> but imagine. in the best way. <laughs> like, so wait, what loop 
what loop are you doing in Wonderlic? What are the trails that oh, gosh. literally barely anyone else knows about? Well, maybe yeah. maybe these listeners do, but tell us your trails in Wonderlic. I don't know that I don't know the trails. I know so from the parking lot, I always go counterclockwise. So you can either go kind of yes. like along where the horses are. I go yes. up past the stables. Okay, and get me up. too. You go right. You, yeah, and then you get to the meadow. So you kind of like yes, you, know, you go up to the up. meadow. Yeah, go up to the meadow, and then you kind of go down the other side of the hill a little bit yep. and then you just kind of charge back up um, and that's the way to get okay. to. Okay. Yeah. All right. To, so you're going up. I always go just down from mm, the meadow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, the reason I do that is because it's never that steep. And so yeah. that's like the kind of trail downhill running that I can do, but it's still like, I find that climb, it's not the climb up, not mm-hmm. that steep. Like there's never a grade where you're totally dying. Yeah. It's just like a long, steady climb. It's a grind. It's, it's a grind. It's grindy. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I feel you. And I, I've done it so many times, but I don't have... There's one stretch where I'm like, oh, I think the meadow's right around the corner and it no. never is. Yeah. And so then it's always like kind of, I don't know, three quarters of a mile before the meadow is. There's this part of the trail that just always tricks me. And even though I'm like, okay, it's coming and don't get tricked, I get tricked. <laughs> yeah. You have kind of like a, it's not even a climb. It's actually pretty flat at that point Yeah, where you're like on that ridge line. Yep. And then yeah. you go like slight up and then you're there. Yeah, you, so you can kind of like float a little bit, um, yeah. but if you like get kind of uh, greedy too early, then you're like, "Where is that meadow?" <laughs> totally, yeah, hundred so, percent. I had some, I had fun. There were like just, it was just good trail vibes, you know. The everyone from the walkers to the other runners up there felt like it was just respectful and was in a good mood. So it was, it was the perfect way to spend a Saturday. And yeah. then, you know, going back through Woodside, um, I stopped at the bakery and got a oh, so egg sandwich and a coffee. And yeah, I don't know. It's, it's such like that. I feel like that part of where we live just makes me be like, this is really special. hundred like- <laughs> percent. Yeah. Oh gosh. I was just running FOMO from this weekend, but I think I did the right thing. You definitely but, did um, the right thing. Yeah. And I love Wonderlick too, because you get a little bit of everything. Oh, it's wide open trails. Yep. There's not a whole, there's not like a whole lot of hazard, but you can no. get a little bit yeah. of single track and you get like deep woods and then you get like kind of more open spaces. It's just, it's kind of the the perfect sort of like introduction kind of like chill, even though it's hard, like it can get hard and grindy. Like if you just don't want to think too hard and you just want to like have that quintessential trail experience, that's where you go. Totally. I have a, um, my, oh, I lose track of like what all these people are supposed to be called, but, um, my, sister's mother-in-law. So I don't know what this person is to me. Um, oh God. But, yeah. Right. Interesting. Or I don't know what, I mean, she's, she's family to me, but like, I don't know what the proper name Your is. Your sister's but. <laughs> mother-in-law who, oh, I was going to say something. Who's, yeah. Um, so she moved down here because my sister had the baby. Um, and so she's in Menlo Park and she's been exploring like all the, you know, the cute roads in Menlo Park. And she went on to the Baylands, but she was like, where are like the trails? And I was like, oh, Barbara, you're going <laughs> to Woodside. <laughs> so I'm it. really excited. I think I'm going to take her on that loop that you were describing because that's, what is that? Is that like three and a half, four miles? That yeah, it's like about about four miles. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because whenever I'm doing a workout, like I always want it to be five, and it never is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I want it to magically be five, and it is yeah. never five miles. And I always have to do like a little bit more, or go out on the road, or like. 
And that road is not fun to run on. I it's wish it had a bigger safe. shoulder. I don't recommend it. <laughs> no, I wish it had a bigger shoulder because it's it's so charming. Like the it houses, is. the properties are great to look Beautiful. at, but like, oh, no, especially on the weekends because like people are driving, especially yeah. like fast driving up because people want to go joyride on Skyline. Yeah. And I'm always like, ooh. Actually, so here's my trick if I can't find parking at yeah. Wonderlick. I'll park on Kings Mountain mm. where people park before they go up to like Hutter, even yep, though that's yep. like a climb to get up to Huttert and then I'll run on the road to Wonderlick because it's like a mile. Yeah. So it's a good warm up, but again, not safe. Not a safe road to run on. Yeah. Not, not the best, but yeah, I've done, I've done that in a pinch. The other one that I've done is like park at the elementary school and then run, but that's even longer. That's like, that is longer. Like yeah. Two or two or so. Or miles. like by Robert's market. Yeah, which, exactly. Like they have all those scary signs, like you'll get towed and I, I believe them. So <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. all the little joys of <laughs> small town living. Yeah. I always feel like there's like runners and cyclists parked in those lots on the weekend. 100%. There's no way it's all customers. It's always full. Yeah. No the way. other thing I've been sort of thinking about, I think in the process of being injured and just like acceptance, even though I don't want to accept it. <laughs> and is, so I'm a huge Brad Stolberg fan, like yes, love peak performance and passion paradox. And so when his, I knew, I heard he was writing this new book, The Practice of Groundedness. Mm-hmm. And that came out, like I downloaded it on Audible right away. And I'm, I, I wish it was Brad reading it, but I also commend him for not doing it and being like, you know, I'm going to have someone else do it. That's a lot of time. Yeah. And him like picking what to do. So I've been listening to that. And I've also been listening to him on a few podcasts. He was on Lindsay Hines' podcast with Shalane Flanagan, which was excellent and like exactly what I needed to hear yesterday. And then today when I was swimming, I was listening to him on uh, Mario Fraioli's podcast. And I think I chose it because it was like, how do I get out of this pity party of like where I am right now? But it also really spoke to me in some of like my own anxiety and and tension I feel around like this compulsion to always be doing something, Mm. but knowing intellectually that actually rest and sort of disconnecting is better and you don't always need to be productive and that's a myth and like you shouldn't be, you know, sort of extrinsically motivated or motivated by sort of these external like external validation, but I didn't have a name for it um, before I, I listened to Brad and he calls it like, he calls it heroic individualism, which Ooh. I can't define it. So this is a plug to like buy Brad's book and also listen to the <laughs> podcast, but it resonated so deeply with me. Not all of the aspects of heroic individualism, but a key part of it is like always feeling like you need to be on and wanting to be off and making a concerted effort to be off. Mm-hmm. But when you're off, like that is incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah. And sort of how do you deal with that? And I kind of had a conversation with Jordan Kutzer about this last week about like how last uh, last Monday was Labor Day and it was like incredibly uncomfortable for me to not be working at all. Like yeah. I, I didn't even, I didn't open my computer at all throughout the long weekend. And I felt like, oh, I should be doing something. And like, where does that come from? And actually another Brad and Steve Magnus thing. So they have a podcast called The Growth Equation. And a few months ago, they were talking about sort of like the the compulsion to work on the weekends, which was based on a tweet and like how that is probably rooted in like 
some deep insecurity and need for external validation. And I was like, oh, I've never resonated with anything yep. so deeply <laughs> in my life. But anyway, all of this, like to say, I've been thinking, thinking about these things and this, this idea of groundedness. And especially I think in the running community, the endurance community, absolutely in the Bay Area, like there's always this comparison trap or like this kind of need to feel like we're continuously like doing something. And even this morning I was like, you know, I really can't open Strava right now because I'm just mm. going to see all of everyone's long runs this weekend and feel like I'm behind. Yeah. And like, that's not productive. That's not helpful. And I'm sure like, I don't notice when someone hasn't posted a long run, like so I'm sure <laughs> no one po- notices when I haven't. Right. Yeah. Anyway, a little bit of a tangent, but like, I don't know. I've just been really thinking about about that and sort of how we use that to actually like promote longevity. And in groundedness, he was also talking about doing all of like the the little stuff to help you perform better. So like all of the things that are boring that, that might seem boring that help you stay grounded, but like also give you the foundation to grow and to be able to to thrive. Mm. And so for me that's like the strength work, right? Yeah. Like I created this this tracker. It's very it's it's a piece of paper. Um, <laughs> for my I created this piece of paper. <laughs> I can uh, post in the show notes, and it's like okay, my Boston Marathon training, and it's just very basic. But on there is like how often have I been strength training? And there's a few weeks where it was like once a week, and then it was a couple weeks where it was zero, and then my hamstring blew up. And mm. it's like the data is right in front of me. Yeah. Right? Like the increased mileage, lack of strength training, like it's all right there. Yeah. I need to get back to the basics and the groundedness. And also within that, not get so caught up in like always feeling like I need to perform, always feeling like every long run needs to be great or every Mm -hmm. workout needs to be awesome or like I need to even do the upper limit of the long run that my coach prescribes. Right? Like you don't always need to do that. So I love I love that you're bringing this up because I've been thinking about similar things. I have not um, listened to or read Brad's new book, but I absolutely am going to. I too, I mean, I think about passion paradox all the time. But this week, I was actually talking to my therapist about something that's kind of related to this, which was like. I feel like I don't always have a good balance between kind of the rigidity of sticking to habits versus like listening to my body and doing Mm. what might make sense. And so like, what is that balance? You know, like I know that running, you know, six days a week makes me feel good. I have goals around that, but like sometimes I wake up and I'm like, it doesn't feel right today. So like, when do I like let myself off the hook and when do I not? And you know, the way that I think you and I do it is like, you know, if we let ourselves off the hook, that feels uncomfortable. If we run, but it isn't to our satisfaction, then it also doesn't feel good. So it's like a lose-lose. Right. And, you know, we were kind of talking through like the ability to kind of like reframe those days as also productive, like this work that you do internally that doesn't look like the kind of like external goal that someone else set out for you, maybe a coach, maybe a boss, whatever. There are some days where like that just you have to say like no to that. And then maybe you need to do some internal work. And that internal work is also productive, but it might look less productive, right? It might look like I don't know, going out to brunch, going for a walk around downtown, reading a book, you know, but that like, I think for me having someone frame that as like, that is also productive. And in, in a lot of ways I should see it as like 
more productive than the like external gratification stuff. I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, that's true. I never really like thought about those things as like, those days are productive. Those days are valuable. They're just have to be valuable to me. And I have to think about them that way. And I have to hold them up in that capacity. It's like, I mean, I think that's such a good point. And I love that way of thinking about it too, is as athletes and as highly motivated individuals, like most days we want to run, right? Like we don't need to find extra motivation. And if we do need to find extra motivation, you know, several days, several weeks in a row, then like that's a burnout issue. We can look into that. But but yeah. our baseline is not that. And actually where the work that we need to do and where we probably need more growth is like sitting in those uncomfortable feelings of not doing what we feel almost like compelled to do. Yeah. Because we've always done it and because we're afraid that if we choose not to, like what does that mean? Yeah. And so I think back to like another thing that that Brad and Steve talk about that I I think about a lot of this idea of stress plus plus rest equals growth. Mm-hmm. And I also think about it as like stress is stress. So even if that's that stress from a workout, like there's the physiological stress, there could be the emotional stress, you need to like then balance that with adequate rest to be able to actually to grow. And I think that's, we know it's true in practice, but it's so hard. It's so hard. And I think that it's even hard for athletes. Like I have experience where I've been injured, I've taken time off and I've come back 10 times stronger and I feel fresher. It's like, why do athletes taper for a race? Like, because all of this works, right? And yet every single time I forget, or like even in the workplace, it's like, I feel every day needs to be productive. Every meeting needs to be productive, or I'm not doing my job well, or I am not of value or like not meeting the standards, but actually like in order to, to grow and be better, you need to balance that. Like we can't all be productive all the time. And so it's going back to this idea of like this heroic individualism of like diagnosing when you feel uncomfortable in the choosing to do nothing Mm. and like leaning into that little, little bit more so that you then get more comfortable. Sorry. I'm like trying to, I don't know what I'm saying, but it's all, it's all connected. I sort of see like, and I don't think Brad says this explicitly, but he's like, he writes, he wrote Passion Paradox and Peak Performance and those are like, or Peak Performance was first. And those are like the branches of the tree of like when you're sort of at your highest powers and how to deal with that. But really like it's about the foundation and like you actually need to start with groundedness. But I don't think, I think it's, you don't realize that until you've sort of been living in the branches (laughs) for so long that you realize like your roots aren't actually as strong as they need to be. And so you sort of have to like go back to that. And so I see this book, at least what I've read so far, is like kind of the, it's like the aha moment from those two books. Yeah, I think that, I think that's so true. I mean, the passion paradox, you know, it's all about that, like, you can burn up, you know, like, and I think we've all felt that where it's like, this thing that I love turns into something that I have a very unhealthy relationship with. And then sometimes you just get in that cycle where you're like, why don't, why doesn't it love me the way that it used to? Or why don't I love, you know? And I think exactly what you're talking about. The other thing that I always think about is, you know, when we had on Matt from Ever Athlete and we asked him like, okay, if, you know, if you have 10 extra minutes, what would you do? And I 
expected him to be like, oh, uh, you know, 10 burpees, uh, 10 push-ups, and 10 squats, you know, three times or whatever. And instead he was like, breath work, sit, Mm -hmm. do breath work. And I I think about that a lot. I also think about how in the passion project, you know, it's like all about periodization. You know, you can go all in on a goal, but you have to say like, I'm doing this for three months or I'm doing this for maybe up to a year, but you can't just be like, I'm doing this indefinitely. It most likely won't work. It might work once. I think we're kind of seeing this actually now with some young professional athletes, like what we saw with this 18-year-old who won the U.S. Open. Um, And there's just been like, I don't know her story, so I'm not calling her out gay for her if that's amazing. But like, you know, these kind of breakthrough um, performances are becoming frequent, but then sometimes it's very hard to repeat. And I think you can kind of pull that trick once, but it's very hard to do again. Yeah. I mean, even in the the case of her, so Emma Raducanu, who is 18. She just won the US Open. She's the first ever tennis player, man or woman, to come through the qualifiers to win a Grand Slam. So pretty incredible. She's been playing at the US Open for like five weeks um, because qualifying is basically its own tournament. And I think that's true. She's been playing at the super high level, but even that's like a a period of time. Like it's not... 12 months a year. And I think of like, so today was the Fifth Avenue Mile, which sort of the end of the, the official end of season for a lot of people. There are several people who like finished their season with Diamond League or whatever, but you've seen a lot of posts from track and field athletes that it's like, peace out, season over, like that's in the books. And now they're really going into that, like taking a few weeks off, you know, and then they'll start running again. They probably won't do workouts for like six to eight weeks. Yeah. Because- you just can't sustain it. And for me, I think what's hard is I'm like, I need to sustain this. I'm like, my <laughs> my season is not over yeah, until yeah. I cross that finish line on October 11th. But it's like, even within that, like within everyone's training, when they're building up for something, like if you're working really hard, something crops up. Like yeah. I've never gotten through a marathon training cycle where I didn't skip at least one long run. Totally. This is the first one where I skipped, where I've actually just skipped one because I knew intellectually it wasn't the right thing to do. And I was like, I'm injured. Usually I skip it because I just don't feel like it or I'm unmotivated or like my body is tired or something else happens or like I'm, I'm doing it. And I just, I decide to quit. Right. And so yeah. I was like, I'm not going to do that this time. Like I'm going to be perfect with my preparation, but there is no perfect. There's no perfection in preparation. Like there's just feeling prepared enough. And I think, I mean, I would even push you to be like, what you're doing is perfect. Like, because what's on paper is just like, it's a guess. It's, it's, it's not even like best case scenario. This is what you do. It's like, this is a suggestion, but you're actually picking what is best. And I think that, you know, saying to yourself, like, this was a perfect training cycle might be a good mantra, might be a good uh, manifestation. It might be, might be a perfect training cycle because for the first time I'm actually listening to my body. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Look at that. There we go. (laughs) Wow. Well, speaking of other ever athletes, so just shout out to Matt, who's also been Mm. very patient with me during this time and basically told me about eight weeks ago that I probably shouldn't run. He didn't say it because he knew if he said it, I wouldn't listen. But um, (laughs) I think that he was hinting toward, but has just been endlessly supportive of like, we'll get you through this. You know, 
I am just really grateful for him and all of the the help. Also, like I posted something on Instagram on Friday about my hamstring and like the Instagram runners of the Bay community showed up with recommendations and people reached out to me and I now have a new friend on from, oh God, I'm going to butcher her. Run Resiliency PT, who's over in Marin and um, works out of a space in Oakland too, who's just awesome. Highly recommend. She's she's training for Chicago. She's got big goals for Chicago. And, you know, I just felt like I didn't want to be posting this. I was feeling a little bit desperate and again, sad Friday night and just like, Hail Mary, I just need something right now to help me feel better. And I just got so many great messages. So, you know, thank you all so much. I love that. I saw that. I saw that tweet and I was like, I don't know any hamstring stuff, but it's wonderful when you are feeling that kind of like, oh, I'm going to put this out there. I don't know if anything's going to happen. And then people are just either just giving you support or actually providing helpful tips, Mm -hmm. helpful advice, helpful resources. It's a good reminder to ask for help. And that, you know, what we come back to again and again, that it like, it's all about the community. (laughs) Totally. It is all about the community. Well, I know this has been a long intro, you guys, but I just feel like there's a lot, lot going on, a lot that I wanted to share that I wanted to hear from Bridget because she always like has the great perspective on things, asks the hard hitting questions of this duo. So I knew (laughs) I'd get some gems from her. Um, This is a great episode with Garrick Chan. We recorded with him a little little while ago. We had some sort of like technical issues that we needed to work out with the episode. And we're excited to finally share it. Garrick's a great runner in the Bay Area. He's doing really great stuff in terms of um, an Instagram account called the Asian Athlete Spotlight. Mm -hmm. He's an advocate. I really enjoyed getting to know him better. It's just a a solo Mimi, Mimi Garrick episode. So we definitely missed Bridget at this one. Um, But we're really grateful to have Garrick on the show. And we hope you enjoyed this episode with Garrick Chan. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Runners of the Bay podcast. Today, we're here with Garrick Chan. Welcome to the podcast, Garrick. Hello. Um, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to speak with you today. Yeah, we've been looking forward to having you on. I know we've been talking for a while. I think it's like been about a year <laughs> that we've actually yeah. been in communication. So I'm so glad we're finally making this happen. So as we get started, you know, Tell us, what does a typical day in your life look like right now? Recently, there have been a lot of positive changes in my life. And then on a normal day, especially like you know, before pandemic, you know, I would always, you know, wake up around like 5.30, 6 a.m., get a run in, you know, shower up, get to work. I work as an accountant. And then some days I would have like a second run. And then after that, you know, go to weights or after that, just go home. What about these days? How has the pandemic shifted that schedule? Yeah, I mean, recently, you know, there has been no waking up very early. Maybe the earliest I'll wake up will probably be like 6.30. You know, there's still waits. There's still a second run. It's just that, like, you know, my current job doesn't have showers. So it's very hard. But at the same time, though, I, you know, due to some new positive changes in my life, I'm likely going to head back to the whole, you know, 5.30 a.m., 6 o'clock routine. You're going to head back to that routine? Yeah, because there's been some like changes in my life, like going to detail 
I'm starting a move from Saratoga to San Carlos. And, you know, I work in Fremont. So in order to make that to work, I had to I wake up early. Yeah, that's exciting. Lots of changes. I think we've all experienced a lot of changes over the last year. Some not so positive for people, some more positive. I think some people really focusing in on kind of what they're passionate about and what matters. And I know in the last year, just from following you, you've done a lot of activism work that has gone beyond running. I mean, tied to running definitely, but that's been really inspiring to see. So we can definitely get into that. But let's go back in time a little bit. What's one of your first memories as a runner? What got me started running was when I was in fifth grade, you know, I have a teacher that would do um, triathlons running. So she allocates a time in a day. I remember it was on like a Friday. So every Friday, like in the morning, we will go out and run like eight laps around the school playground, like the perimeter. So she would motivate us by, you know, with candy. Like, you know, if you don't walk, you get candy. So that led to me doing cross country. I didn't think I would go on to do cross country and track for like middle school, high school, luckily college and post-college. Nice. So what did, besides candy early on, what motivated you? I think just it's just like the love for, you know, running. Like, you know, when I go out there, I just happen to love to run. I remember asking like, you know, my older sister, because, you know, she's a year older than me and she was like in middle school at the time. She's like, oh, you know, you know, what sport can I do that doesn't involve, you know, jumping around the hurdles? Because that's what everyone used to see growing up. And when we all wanted to do track and field, everyone thought like, oh, we have to do hurdles too. We have to do this or that. But then my sister said, oh, you know, there's this thing called cross country. So that's how I got in. You said like you're motivated by the love to run and sort of love of the sport. What about that? What makes you love it? You know, when I tell people I'm a runner and I run marathons, they're like, I don't even want to run to the next block. Like I hate running. So what what made you love it? Like, what is it about it? I think what keeps me going today is my ability to continue to uh, run personal best. When you run personal best, everyone gets happy. But what motivates me is that when I run personal best, you kind of want more. I want to always want to see what's my full potential. And I don't think it doesn't hurt to see what your full potential is because, you know, life is short. So I'd rather, you know, go see what I can do than live the rest of my life with regrets. Yeah, I love that. I totally agree. Like, that's what motivates me, too, is like, let's just see what you can do because you know, never put limits on yourself. Right. I know that you you do a lot of writing. You have a great website on media where you blog and share your experiences and your thoughts. And it's been it's been fun to dive into that. So on that topic, you've talked about personal best. You've talked about your your journey to a sub 16 minute 5K. So can you tell us about that? What motivated you? What was like behind that number in that time? And then what motivated you to write about it? Yeah, you know, I, I think throughout my running career, I always wanted a sub 16 5K. You know, again, it's just something that, you know, I just want to get the best out of myself. And, you know, sub 16 is a pretty big deal in the running community. What led me to write that article on Medium, I think I was just trying to give ideas and, you know, trying to share my knowledge of running, trying to give back to the running community. Writing articles on Medium was something that was a hobby that I picked up during the pandemic. You know, it's been a while since I read an article because, you know, recently didn't have much time. And the running publication that I write for, they're kind of very selective these days on what gets posted. So it's really, really, very, very hard. But, you know, I just want to get back to the running community as I share. Oh, you know, this is how you can get sub 16. Try to, you know, motivate other people to go get out there and pursue their um, best. Nice. 
What else does writing do for you? I mean, is there sort of a a catharsis or has it become like an outlet for you to be able to express yourself in a different way? Yeah, I would say it is a way for me to um, express my thoughts and me have people like, you know, understand who I am as a person. Because I mean, in person, though, I am somewhat reserved. So this helps people get an understanding of who I am. It's interesting that, you know, you're, say, you're reserved, somewhat quiet, and yet you put yourself out there in the running community. Sure. You know, you put yourself out there on Instagram and through your writing. And so is that sort of your way of, again, expressing yourself, but also in some ways, like without having to talk to people or be in person, like allow them to get to know you a little bit better? Yeah. I mean, when it comes to like between introverted and extroverted, I would say like I'm in the between or a little, a little bit introverted. Because of that, how has the pandemic and sort of the last year been like for you as sort of more leaning on the introverted side? Did you find it maybe nice to a certain extent? I mean, I know my introverted fiance appreciated it. So I'm curious what your experience was like. I mean, yeah, sometimes I feel like, you know, yeah, you know, I just want some alone time, you know, spend some time alone, you know, be happy. But then none part of me be like, I miss all my friends, miss all my family. So then, you know, recently I was able to like see them again. Yeah. So in the, in the past year, you started this Instagram, the Asian Athlete Spotlight Instagram, which is really beautiful. And I know you've done an amazing job keeping that up and really highlighting different Asian athletes. And sort of, I see here, the, the goal is to end Asian stereotypes and outdated beliefs by giving the spotlight to Asian athletes and coaches of all levels and abilities. So what inspired you to start that? And what has that been like for you? So the backstory was that like, you know, when I was like, you know, running, I think in 2019, I'll admit that like there's been some like negative pressure, you know, all forms of like, you know, racism, like people kind of like projecting their like racist beliefs towards me when it comes to like sports. It got to some point where like this type of thinking has been plaguing all my surroundings. And so like initially, like, I started with my speaking out, I, you know, try to share my stories. But after a while, you know, it's kind of hard, you know, to share your story and have people listen to you. So as I to order to get people to listen to me, I had to do it by like actions. And that's when, you know, I thought about like Asian athletes spotlight and say, hey, maybe if we share all the things about the athletes or what they've done, what they had to encounter, then maybe people who read on Instagram will look at it and then, you know, their minds will change. What has the reception been like? Have you found more community around it? When I built Asian Athlete Spotlight, I think like the reception is a lot better. I mean, there was one post that I made and then someone said like, oh, you know, Asian Athlete Spotlight needs like 50K followers. You know, this is what we need and such. And I agree with that person. But I think this is something that like, is going to take a lot of time. Yeah. And you're not doing it necessarily. I mean, 50,000 followers, that would be great. But like, to your point, like it takes time. You start smaller, you know, you still have a good number of followers and you're representing people, right? Like you're sharing stories that aren't otherwise told. How are you deciding which athletes to highlight and how to tell their story? So that's the hardest thing to do in Asian Athlete Spotlight. I mean, I always try to find, you know, all the athletes. I can always send them a message asking them if they want to be part of future. But the hardest part is for them to be wanting to do it. I think like some people, you know, they don't want to get their story shared or they're not interested in being featured, which is okay. So in order for them to get featured, they have to fill out the form. It's in the you know Instagram bio link. 
but they had to fill out that form and then the feature is based on what they answer. Got it. You also wrote an article on Medium and have talked about this, about, you know, racism in sport. And you wrote an article called The Running Stories That Are Hard to Tell. And a little bit earlier, you talked a little bit about like things you've experienced. Would you mind going into a little bit more detail about that and telling us about writing that story, you know, what that brought up for you and how you're sort of putting this out in the world and trying to, you know, make sure that these stories are told and that your story is told and that people understand that racism is very real and that it is very prevalent in sports. And yeah, tell us a little bit more about that. So I'll admit that, you know, what motivated me inspired me to speak out was, you know, when people started speaking out, like the person that actually did it was Jalen Davis from the San Francisco Giants. You know, when he spoke out, I felt that, hey, you know, maybe I should speak out too. You know, I thought about like my past, like what I dealt with. And I asked like some of my like friends and cousins, you know, who are Asian and are athletes. And they said, yeah, you know, they have dealt with that experience too. And then at the same time, when I wrote that, I was also starting to speak up on, you know, social media, you know, said on like Instagram, Facebook. But then like, but like I mentioned earlier, though, like at first, you know, there was some reception. But at the same time, though, there was a little bit of drama, which is kind of normal. But then after a while, when I try to continue to speak out more, that's when it started to get a little reception because I think some people don't agree with what I said, which is fine. I mean, recently, though, I haven't really spoke out because when the Asian hate crimes were happening, you know, I decided that through Asian athlete spotlight, I can speak up on some things, but with some of the things that... You know, I've said, like, I don't want to say it and bring that up because I don't want to perpetuate, you know, more hate, more violence. And at a time like this, we don't want any like infighting too. So when the time is right, then yeah, there are some things I can say. But right now, like, I can only, you know, speak out on like certain things. And I'm doing that through like Asian Outlook Spotlight. You mentioned some drama. If you're not comfortable, we definitely don't have to get into that. But I'm curious what you mean by that, if you're open to sharing. I mean, it's just pretty much like some people just don't, you know, agree with what I said. And it's it's fair. That's the right to not agree. But I'm not going to say like who disagree with me. But I, there were some people who disagree with me. And it was something that I did not like to hear. And it's, it's, it's like why we have all these problems today. So you feel like it wasn't necessarily a healthy dialogue. It was just kind of going down maybe a rabbit hole that wasn't productive. Yeah, it's like something like at the age of 28, you don't really need to like you know, in a time like this, be something that we don't, we just don't need. That's hard to hear. I mean, because your experience is your experience, right? And that's valid. Yeah. I mean, I think the reason why like some people don't get what I mean, because they don't know what it's like for someone like me who plays in a, you know, in the sport that's like predominantly, you know, not, not in the favor of a minority. I always tell myself this, that like when someone, I mean, a minority does blow in, in a sport that's filled with, like, with predominantly a majority race, they are going to be a target to racism. And, you know, I don't think people really get that. Like, and you kind of see it, too, with our current athletes like Jeremy Lin, Chloe Kim, and now even Shohei Otani. People just don't get that. But I, told, I always tell myself, maybe one day they will. They will. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you've experienced or that weighs on you whenever you sort of go to the starting line of a race? In the starting line of the race, like I never dealt with like racism, but I know I've heard stories about like people getting like racially profiled. If we go into the elite coral, like I have a friend who's a professional triathlete. Uh, you know, in the beginning he was getting racially profiled. 
That's really hard. I think that something I love about running is that there's this perception that anyone can do it, right? Like all right. you need is a pair of shoes and you're good to go. But it's just, yeah. it's not as simple as that, you know, for so many things. Like there are a lot of considerations that go into lacing up those shoes and deciding when you're going to go outside and run. I mean, me as a woman, like I think about if I'm traveling for work or in a city I don't know and I need to get my run in really early, maybe before it's light out, like I'm going to go to the hotel treadmill, honestly, because I don't feel safe. Right. Right. And that's not good for our sport. We all want to feel safe regardless of your gender, of your race, of, of anything else. Yeah, right. At this point, you know, because I ran like a 234 marathon and, you know, I think that's where, you know, some some races you can get in the elite coral for free, get your race entry paid for for free. And, you know, I feel that, you know, the faster I, I'll get, the closer I get to you know, sub 220, then I feel like, you know, I could get targeted. But one of the things I said in my article was when I was in high school, when I would finish number one for my school or do great things, there would be people who be like, you know, who just kind of didn't want to like accept this type of result. You know, they try to like discredit me and which is something that has been seen for all of like Asian athletes. Yeah, to encounter that. And you feel like the faster you get, the bigger target you are, if I understood that correctly. And so it's like, is that what you think about? Like, do you prepare yourself for that? Or, you know, I wonder if that's an opportunity too, right? Like we see people of all ages, of all races doing incredible things and sort of trying to right. break down these stereotypes. Right. I mean, I try not to think about it too much, but at the same time, it's something that, you know, I have to be aware of. So let's, let's move into more of your running story. If you don't mind, okay. you, you casually mentioned you're a 234 marathoner in the Chicago marathon in 2019. So that, that's yeah. correct. We yes. ran that race together. We didn't know each other. You finished a lot further ahead of me, but it was a perfect day in Chicago. What was it like leading up to that marathon? What made you choose that race? And that was your first marathon, right? If I read that correctly, what was it like going into your first marathon? Did it meet your expectations or was it something totally different? Yeah. I mean, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, Chicago was my first the reason why I chose Chicago because I mean, my sister, she was there. So she was finishing up nursing school. So I want to like, you know, maybe meet her cause, you know, I never got the chance to do that. And then at the same time when I decided that, you know, I finished my debut half marathon and for some reason I decided that me after a year, I should try a full. I mean, I, when I applied for Chicago, I went in with like a positive mindset, like, you know, I'm nothing to lose or anything. And I, if I don't get in, you know, there's CIM and there's maybe Seoul Marathon, which I thought of at the time. So somehow I got in and I was like, well, this is a good opportunity. So go run it. So, you know, I trained for it and surprisingly it all went well, you know, not just at the time, but it's because of how I ran that marathon. I always say to myself, like, you know, I don't like the marathon. But I don't hate the marathon, but <laughs> I like to see what I can do. What's my potential? And it goes back to what I said, like, you know, we'll see my full potential. I think like if I didn't run 234, if I didn't like negative split at the same time, I would have given marathon one more chance. And then after that, you know, if that didn't go well, then I would just go run Boston. And then I would have called quits. But because of that happened, I felt like I found my second calling in running because, you know, you know, I was in college, you know, I was a middle distance runner. I was hoping to become like Matthew Centralitz in a way, but that did not happen. And maybe, you know, since I negative split, there's a lot of potential out there. Maybe you can do something mm -hmm. great. 
Do you have any time goals going into Chicago? Well, originally, like, I wanted to go like sub to 30. But after running Philadelphia Rock and Roll Half, where you know, I ran like 113.36, I was like, no, there's no way that's going to happen. Because I think you need like 111 or 112 in order to get sub to 30. Honestly, I think my time goal was at least a sub to 35. So you did it. And you negative split, which is very hard. I've run, I guess, nine marathons if you include a virtual marathon. And I have negative split exactly one. And it was the Chicago Marathon. <laughs> so uh-huh. what do you think was like the biggest lesson you took from that day? Ooh, that was that's an interesting question. But I think like one lesson I may have taken was, you know, if you work hard for something, you will get what you want. You know, I think everyone who know me very well, they know how hard I, I worked for Chicago. Made a lot of sacrifices, burned through the pain in my workouts in the weight room. And I think that's what led to the results. You mentioned you just threw out another time a few minutes ago. You said 220. Is that a goal to go sub 220? What does that mean to you? What's the significance of that number? Well, I think that depends on what the 2024 standards are going to be. Mm. But I think that can happen. Some people think that can happen. You know, I think, you know, you're sub 220, you're pretty much a professional marathon. And, you know, I see there's some hope in that because you look at one of the, one of the runners I recently featured from Taiwan, Cha Cha Chang. When he started his first marathon, he ran like a 237. In 2019, he ran 215. So, you know, I think there is some hope to reach that point. So that, that number is chosen. I mean, I that was a leading question. I figured it was to target that, you know, Olympic trials qualifier. Obviously, they haven't released the standards for 2024 yet. But yeah. um, for men, you need to run sub-220 to line up. So that's what you're eyeing. That's what I'm eyeing. Awesome. I know that you had some excitement because I think you were you were entered into the sub-elite field for like the Houston Marathon or maybe it was the half. And then, of course, they postponed that or canceled that this year. And you've gone through injury. So it sounds like it's been like a really um, sort of roller coaster year for you in terms of your own running, your health, races. Mm-hmm. You know, how have you stayed focused and driven during such time of like challenge both personally but then uncertainty in terms of how you can even you know line up i'm so competitive my mentality is always try to go win at all costs and one of the things i did was think long term which was olympic trials and then the second thought was like hey you know at least the beauty of the sport is you can still run you still go out there train and there's time trials just get a few people faster than you to pace you. My mentality was, you know, when racing comes back, I'll become a different runner, you know, a more faster runner. But unfortunately, injuries were there. And then, yeah, so, I mean, the last race I did recently was uh, Peachtree. Yeah, and that was hard. Was that this year? Yeah. Were you in Atlanta? Yeah, I was in the Cedar Coral. Well, tell us about it. I mean, that's a huge race. And I know that they've been really excited to bring that back. I follow Jay Holder on Twitter. I like to think we're we're friends, even though I don't we, we know each other on Twitter, but he's, you know, a great guy and he's doing amazing things with Atlanta Track Club and all of that work. So what was that like? Yeah, uh, it was interesting. I mean, that was my second race ever since like, you know, I returned from the pandemic. The most interesting about Atlanta was that like the PHP race in some ways was like the first race I did after the racing stop. The last race I did before pandemic was in Atlanta. Right. Yeah. That was the Publix 5K. And I did like a mini race in San Francisco, which was the Lake Merced, the, the, the series. So yeah, Atlanta was interesting. Like, you know, the crazy part is that, like, you know, no one was wearing masks. Like, you know, they asked us to. Mm. And I just went out there, have fun. 
And I, when I look at the course, I thought it was like, you know, oh, it's just really easy. I go out there, run the course. And I was like, oh, it shouldn't be too bad. But when you go run like five minute pace on that course, it's very hard. I guess they call that's why they call it the big hill in Peachtree, the cardiac hill. Mm. So I've not run Boston yet. So I don't know what's that like, but I think it's like very similar concept. Yeah. Well, Heartbreak Hill in Boston, it's funny. I think that if you were just going on like an easy run, you would be like, this is no big deal. You're running up a street, right? But like when you're in the Boston Marathon and it's like mile 20, you're like, this sucks. I don't want this hill to be here. (laughs) And so that's (laughs) why it's Heartbreak Hill. (laughs) I don't think it's because of its grade, but just because of of where it is. I know when when I ran Boston my first time, I was like totally injured. So I was already, my heart was broken way before mile 21 or 20. So I wasn't, didn't even realize it was Heartbreak Hill because I was way past that. But, Mm -hmm. you know, I think that like, it's such a sign of hope to bring races back. I think that, you know, when they stopped, we all understood, right? Like it it made sense, but it represented such a sense of loss, a sense of yeah, of loss, of feeling like we're not connected as a community. And so I think that we've all found different ways in the last year plus to connect and to keep that alive, whether that's virtual races or to your point, time trials or, you know, for me, it was starting this podcast. For you, it looks like it was doing a lot more writing and getting out there. Mm -hmm. And in some ways, there's so much beauty in that and saying, Races are really important, but there's so many other ways to connect as runners. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. So getting back to the running thing, I know in your article about breaking 16 minutes in the 5K, you also alluded to maybe like not such a great experience in your early running days. And if you don't want to get into that, I totally understand. But, you know, it sounds like you had an interesting journey both in high school and college and then now as a sub elite, I think the sky's the limit for you, but can you talk a little bit more about what those early days were like for you? Yeah, yeah. When I was in high school, right, you know, I went to Saratoga High. You know, Saratoga High to give you some relation to Stanford, right? A coach in, you know, like in the early two thousands was Marshall Clark. You know, I heard he was a great coach. And then in two thousand two he like passed away during practice and then yeah, I've been having a great run. But then when I got there, there were some changes in the coaching staff. So during my four years at Saratoga High, you know, the first two were okay. But at the end of my sophomore, that's when things were starting to go downhill. Junior year was like, that's when things were very chaotic. Like there was a lot of like dysfunction. Coaches were like very selfish, you know, also like miscommunications. Then that kind of like trickles down to the team. So you see some like selfish teammates. And, you know, it was a horrible time and that kind of affected my performances. So, you know, there have been a lot of coaching changes and that adds more to dysfunction. So my senior year, I had a very great coach, but I wish I had more time with him. Luckily, though, I, I, I was able to walk on for the San Jose State cross-country team. I mean, San Jose State, you know, at that time was, was well known to be not that great in athletics. It was kind of at the point where, like, you know, some professors were like, hey, we should get rid of the football team since they're not doing so well, you know. <laughs> But when I got there, right, the whole athletic staff, they were trying to make things work. But what happened is that it started when, like, you know, an AD left and then the new AD comes in. And typically when, like, the big bosses come in, they want their own people. So that's how, you know, the coach who brought me on, he didn't get renewed his contract. And then there's a new coach that comes in. So it's like changing coaches. And then after that, you know, I was on the team for like two years because, you know, the coach at the time, I wasn't part of his vision pretty much. 
I mean, only good, only thing that's better than than my high school was, you know, they all have push. You know, they're able to motivate you, push you to the top. But it sounds like you also needed to be really like internally motivated to keep moving forward and to keep pursuing running. What sort of motivated you to keep after it after college? You know, after college, you're graduate, you're supposed to like get a real job and become like yeah. this adult, which is such a weird word and all the things that come with it. But like, you know, were you thinking there's just more in the tank to kind of what you were saying earlier? Like you still want to figure out what your potential is? Yeah, like in the beginning, like when I started my post-collegiate journey, it was very hard to get motivated. You're like you're trying to figure out your why. And then I realized, hey, you know, I just want to get the best of myself, you know, and that, and that's the beauty of, the, of running. You know, you're allowed to get the best out of yourself. You know, no one can stop you. It's not like basketball or football. So when I got let go of the San Jose State cross-country team, I, I was at the highest. I'll admit that. Like I was coming off a great season and then boom, got cut. But then I was given the opportunity to get my spot back on the team. But I ended up getting the consolation prize, which was PRs. I was like, you know, you're still improving. So, you know, why don't you just keep going? I'll admit this, like post-college, I gave myself a standard. I was like, okay, you don't improve like within a year. That's it. But then I haven't have, have, have like a great fall season. And I realized, hey, keep going. I should just keep going. And then, you know, and that was it. Now, like when Chicago happened, I think that gave me more motivation. That gave me more more reasons to you know continue running. And my motivation, my fire is as, as strong as has been. That's great. You keep saying this like, hey, if it doesn't go this way, I'm going to quit. Like if the marathon doesn't go well, I'm going to call it. Or has it ever happened where maybe it hasn't gone well and you've sort of reevaluated like, no, I'm going to I'm going to keep going. Because running can be so fickle, like in yeah. some ways, like it's totally within our control. But actually, like when you really think about it, we have very little control And you know, the weather, it could be a freak injury. We could get sick. Like there's all of these things. Right. I mean, there's never having a time where like, yeah, you know, put a standard and then like things didn't work out. I said myself, hey, you know, I should go, you know, quit. There was never anything like that happened. But I told myself, you know, hey, you know, but even if I don't make Olympic trials, I'll walk out satisfied because I will know that, you know, I gave my all. If I gave my all and I didn't make it, I'll be satisfied. Then being said, hey, you know, that's my potential. Mm -hmm. And I think we have different potentials at different times. You know, it's like I think we we take inspiration by people later in life, like. You know, the Olympics just started today. We've got Abdi in the marathon and it's what, like 43? I don't know. This is his 14th Olympics. I'm just kidding. I know it's not his 14th. <laughs> but it's, you know, you think someone's career might be over and then they, they're they able to still tap into that potential. Or I look at like Sarah Hall, right? right? Who is just my everyday inspiration. And so this idea that like, yeah, we think we've tapped into our potential, but like we have so much time. And you have so much time, um, you know, you're still young, right? Like there's so much opportunity to grow and to, to do different things and to maybe take a break and come back to it. Yeah. And I also think too, like with technology and sort of different training, like we can all run longer, harder and faster than we ever could. Right. I, mean, I, don't, I don't usually think about the future, but that'd be nice though, if I could, you know, run into my, you know, early forties, like Meb. Abdi, you know, Bernard Lagat, you know, that'd be nice. I, but I think, you know, I just wanted, it's wanted just to take things like one step at a time. Yeah. 
So you, you did keep running after college and you run with the Wolf Pack. How did you find that group? How long have you been with them? And, and what's that been like for you? Yeah, so I found the club because like, you know, my college teammate you know, trains with them during the summers. And after that, you know, he was recruiting all my other teammates, all my friends. Ever since I joined, I met my, some great people in that club. How have they helped you improve as an athlete? I think like, you know, I, in the beginning, you know, I was training with them, going to their practices. They were able to like push me. And the coach was, you know, Coach Lisa, you know, she was pretty great. She, she has all a great structure. And Wolfpack practices are, tend to be fun too, you know, after the work is done. So how do you have fun after the work is done? What does that look like? You know, we go like hang out with each other, whether it's go to a restaurant, you know, or have like a picnic. I mean, I remember having picnics at like race day. So now I, you know, like, I mean, I'm still part of Wolfpack. Like I'll train with them, you know, like we're given the option to train our own. You know, there's some people, including myself, who have like got their own coach. I'm working with someone from Colorado for like, I'll say like four to five years. And he was at Chicago Marathon too. So yeah, I met up with him. That's awesome. Yeah. What's that coach-athlete relationship like? How does he help you or push you or hold you back? I know that sometimes highly motivated athletes, actually, what they need most in a coach is someone to tell them to stop or rest or do different things. Yeah. I mean, in the, I mean, in the beginning, you know, I was kind of, I'll admit, you know, it's kind of hard. Cause you know, you're, you're far away from each other and he's trying, they're trying to get to like, you know, know you. So sometimes I, you know, I'll do like, you know, some extra miles and then he'd be like, you know, stop, 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 stop. You're just too much. But then, you know, afterwards we are, we sit down after the season and we're just like, Hey, you know, you can actually do more miles. So why don't we just add some more miles? I knew like heading in, it's like, cause I, I was making like a, a coaching change around that time. And there was so many coaching changes, you know, that were out of my control. And, you know, the reason why I had this coaching change, because, you know, I was trying to balance work and running. What I knew was like, year one, it's not going to be pretty because, you know, everyone's trying to, you're trying to get used to the program. You know, everyone's trying to understand you. So, so we're all trying to think long term. And now, I, you know, like things have been going well. You know, we, what he tries to do is trying to have make sure like both of us are accountable for each other. It's like a partnership. We're all trying to get success when we both need to do our part to, you know, get that. And it seems to be working pretty well for you. Yeah, it has been. I still have a lot of room to grow, you know, under him. So what's next on the calendar for you? Well, the plan was to do CIM, but due to Delta, like, I have not signed up for races. I mean, all the races I signed up for was CIM and Indiana Monumental Half. And then, like, you know, if CIM happens to get, like, postponed, I'm, I'm pretty sure Houston will likely happen. So I have some races planned. But, you know, at the same time, I, I'm like, I'm being cautious. I would, I would rather like wait until, wait to sign up like to, to like, what, like a, like a week or two before, just in case, you know, because I don't like virtual runs now. <laughs> so, yeah. And you're all in on the marathon now? Well, I mean, am I all in? I still think that like, you know, I need to improve my 5K, my 10K to at least give myself a chance to get a sub 220. Because, you know, right now my 5K PR is like, what, 1552. And to get a sub 220, you need a minimum of like sub 15, 5K. It's hard. I always find like in marathon training that speed stuff is so much harder. I use the pandemic year to just like focus on the speed and I'm crossing my fingers that that bodes well for me in this marathon cycle. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah. Pandemic or not, like 2020 was the year for speed. 
but that didn't go the way I wanted. So before we we sort of wrap up with some fun end of the podcast questions, you know, when you think about your relationship with running in the next 10, you know, 15, 20, 30, 100 years, because now we're all going to live forever. What does it look like for you? You're going to race? Are you going to just run leisurely? Are you going to start training for ultras? I do not see myself running ultras. <laughs> That's a for sure. Again, as I said earlier, I got to take us one step at a time. I mean, it's cool if I can run competitively in my like late 30s, early 40s. I think after when the competitive days are over, I would say, you know, I hope that, you know, I'll get into coaching, running leisurely. I can see that. I can, I think that's a for sure. But then it'd be interesting because, you know, I'm very, I am a very competitive person. So you'll just be like racing that other person across the street. They won't know that you guys are racing. That's what I do. I'm like, they don't know we're <laughs> racing, but we're definitely racing. Or like you're on the treadmill next to someone and they think they're just, that they're just running, but actually we're on, we're in a race right now and they don't know it. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens. Like when I'm going on trail runs. Or when I go run on a rancho, I see someone, I gotta go like, gotta get that person. And then they're like, yeah, I'm just trying to enjoy my run. And then like, why are you doing that? <laughs> why are you doing that? I, I do that too, but I also think it kind of helps the run go by fast. I mean, it right. helps the run go by faster because you are literally running faster. But it's mm -hmm. also like, you know, it's like a game. It makes it fun. Yeah. We're going to wrap up with some fun rapid fire questions. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Awesome. What is your favorite place for a long run in the Bay Area? Probably shore, like Shoreline because it's like very flat. What is your uh, pre-race breakfast? Banana, honey stinger waffles, and then some like, you know, water and Gatorade. Classic. What's your race day shoe? My race day shoe? <laughs> Gotta be the vapor flies, awful flies, you know, those shoes. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the vapor flies. I don't like the alpha flies. Maybe, I don't know. The stack height was a little too high for me. They hurt my calves. Oh. But big fan of the Vaporflies. What about like, what shoes do you wear in a long run? Either Vaporflies or um, Tempo Next Percent. I think they got rid of the Tempo Next Percent. But yeah, it's pretty much Vaporflies. Because you, know, you got those marathon you know, simulation, those marathon tempo. So you need the Vaporflies in. Yeah. I also find like I just feel better the next day. You know, yeah. you, feel, you don't feel so banged up. Yeah. So plus one on that. Yeah. <laughs> if you could go on a long run with anyone, who would it be? Dang. There's so many people I can go on a long run with. I think maybe like anyone who's faster than me because it gets it done quick. <laughs> yeah. So you just want it to be done. <laughs> yeah. I mean, at one point, you know, I was, I was running with a few people for my long run, maybe in like 2018, early 2019. And like, yeah, it actually like goes by quick. Oh, 100%. It's so much more enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, wait, we've already run 20 miles? What? <laughs> I know. In this marathon cycle, and I'm like, please, someone run with me because I hate doing this by myself. Okay. And our final most important question. Okay. Burger, burrito, or pizza? Oh, that's pretty hard. Because I like all three. But if I had to pick one, I probably would say, you know, pizza. Because, like, you know, burrito, right, you know, I always have or no beans. You know, I don't like beans. But then, like, what if I don't get the option of, like, no beans? So. <laughs> too much risk in that order. <laughs> yeah. And then burger is, like, a little too unhealthy because, you know, always has to come with fries. So also, I think pizza is, like, more healthier because, you know, carbs and some protein, too. 
Uh, I think anything after a long run or a race, you just got to get fuel into your body. But welcome to Team Pizza. You are now on my team. I'm squarely <laughs> Team Pizza. So glad to have you. I'll let you know the secret handshake one of these days once I make it up. <laughs> but thanks so much, Garrick, for, for joining us and for sharing your story and for being outspoken and for really, you know, advocating for change, we're so lucky to have you as a member of this running community. Yes, yes. And, you know, thank you, Mimi, for having me here. You know, I really enjoy, you know, speaking with you. I'm really enjoying sharing, uh, you know, my thoughts. And thank you for, you know, like having this so that, you know, we're all given the opportunity to, you know, speak and share our thoughts and express ourselves. Absolutely. All right. Talk to you soon. Yes. We hope you enjoyed this episode with Garrick Chan. You can find Garrick on Instagram at GVC1992. You can follow him on Strava at Garrick Chan. Uh, You can also find him on medium.com. That's where he publishes most of his writing. And, you know, we talked about it a little bit in the episode, but I really think that you get a great perspective on sort of the way that Garrick thinks and processes things through his writing. I know I've enjoyed reading it and I think you will too. As always, you can find us at Runners of the Bay on Instagram and on Twitter. Send us an email. We're so grateful for this community. As we said in our very long intro, like it just, it all comes back to community and the relationships that we've built and continue to build. And it's just been the greatest gift. So thank you so much. And we will talk to you soon.